If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it up today to Psalm chapter 110. Psalm chapter 110. And if you will, stand to your feet as we read from God's Word. Psalm chapter 110, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Church, this is the Word of God. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Heavenly Father, as we come to this most important time of our gathering as a church today, Lord, we ask that you not only bless this reading of your word, but Father, that you would bless the preaching of your word. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and minds to understand and hearts that are teachable and open to you working in us today. Father, bring salvation to the lost. Bring encouragement and comfort and a challenge from your word to those who are saved. And may you be honored and glorified in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In C.S. Lewis's fiction book, Prince Caspian, part of the Chronicles of Narnia series, the character Lucy found herself in a dilemma. Should she follow Aslan, who is the lion, who is a king, even though no one else would follow him, or would she not? I was reading that story with some of my children the other day. Now begin to think about that. Ultimately, she chose to follow him, even though those closest to her thought she was crazy. Now, I can't help but think that her choice in following Aslan, even though those around her would not or didn't want to, was I can't help but think that her choice was greatly influenced by something that she learned the first time that she traveled to Narnia. We read about that in that uh, book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there she was first learning about this lion who was the king. She was sitting around a table with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And uh, they were having a, a, a dinner there in the beaver's hut. And uh, she, she asked this question as she began to hear about this lion that she was going to meet. She said, is he safe? Is he safe? To which the beavers kind of chuckled. And they said, is he safe? Of course not. Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he is good. He is good. I can't help but think that years later when Lucy had to make a choice of whether or not she was going to follow the king even when those around her didn't want to follow the king, that that thought came back into her mind. He is good, but he's not safe. I think it was both her heartwarming gratitude for Aslan's compassion which she witnessed as she saw Aslan lay down his life for the sins of another. And it was not only a heartwarming gratitude, but a knee-shaking, reverent fear of his power 
which she had also witnessed when she saw Aslan rise up from the grave and bound off to completely destroy his enemies that led Lucy to say, yes, I will follow the king even if no one else does. It was both a heartwarming gratitude for Aslan's compassion and a knee-shaking reverent fear of his power that led her to follow him. I wonder today, church, if we need a healthy dose of the sheer power of Jesus to provide us some motivation to not only trust him for salvation, but then once we have trusted him, to follow him with our lives. We're in a series of studying the various doctrines of Christianity as they're portrayed in the Psalms. And for the past two weeks, we've been looking at the doctrine of Christ as it is given to us in Psalm chapter 110. We've been answering this question, who is Jesus? Now, I've given you this statement for two weeks now, and I'm going to give it to you one more time as a summary statement for Psalm chapter 110. And it's this. Only Jesus sits on the throne of heaven, and so only Jesus should sit on the throne of our hearts. I hope that phrase is burned into our minds at this point. Now, there are many ways that we could apply these verses, and over the past two weeks I've tried to apply them to hopefully all of us in, different, in our different areas of our lives. Today I want to focus our application as we look at the last three verses upon parenting. Parents, every time your child sins, your actions are revealing what is on the throne of his or her heart, which is the same is true of all of us. Our outward sin is merely a symptom of a deeper problem which we're all born with. We are all born dead in sin, and being dead in our sin, our hearts are set on rebelling against God, set on rebelling against the King. Think about it. The greatest commandment Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why can that be said to be the greatest? Because every other uh, act of obedience to any other command flows from whether or not we are loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Why is that one first? It's because who or what we worship determines whether or not we'll obey God or not obey God, regardless of whatever the other commands are. If God is not on the throne of our hearts, if we are not worshiping Him, then we won't obey Him. Why does your child complain about the food that you put on his plate? Well, because Jesus is not on the throne of his heart. Why does your child lay down on the floor in the middle of the grocery store and yell and scream because you didn't buy a candy bar at the checkout line? Well, because Jesus is not on the throne of his heart. Why does your child take her sister's toy when she's got lots of other toys to play with? Well, because Jesus is not on the throne of her heart. Unfortunately, we often fail to look past the symptoms of sin in our children and see that the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. When we think that the symptom is the main problem, we treat only the symptom, which might lead, might lead to a temporary change in behavior, but it doesn't lead to an eternal healing of the heart. My point is this. It's not that we stop disciplining our, disciplining our children and helping them behave. It's not my point. My point is that we must go beyond that. We can't stop with that. We must help them understand their utter sinfulness and their deep need for Jesus to save them because He alone, not you or me or any great parenting tips or techniques that we have, He alone can save them from their sin. And so we must lead them to Jesus over and over and over. All of our children will face the same decision that Lucy faced. Do I follow the King even when everyone around me is choosing not 
to follow him. And their decision will be, will be determined by whoever or whatever is sitting on the throne of their hearts. And so our, G, our, our children need Jesus to powerfully and sacrificially take control of their hearts. And if our children desperately need Jesus, then my question to us as parents today, and really anyone who has any influence on children, which if we think about it, is all of us, because they're watching all of us all of the time, my question is this, what picture of Jesus are we painting for them? To broaden the application, what picture of Jesus are we painting to everyone in the lost world around us? Psalm chapter 110 provides us with three pictures of Jesus, and each picture comes with an appropriate response. Um, and and these, these pictures are not options. It's not like you can have this Jesus or this Jesus or this Jesus. These pictures are, are painting one big picture of who Christ is. We don't pick and choose. He is all of these things all of the time. Now, the first picture we saw in Psalm chapter 110, we studied a, few week, a couple of weeks ago in verses 1 through 3, and it's the picture of Jesus as the divine king. And because he is the divine king, we must submit to his rule. He's not merely an earthly king, he's a, um, or he's not merely a human king, he is a divine king. Yes, he became human, but he is fully God. Every bit of Jesus is God. We must, must believe this. We must bow to him in submission. He reigns on the throne of heaven. Then the second picture we saw in Psalm chapter 110, we spent some time, I hope you enjoyed it, I did, it was incredible last week, looking at verse 4 and unpacking some of the truths that are there. And that second picture of Jesus we saw is that he is the priestly king. He's the divine king, but he's also the priestly king. And being the priestly king who intercedes for us by laying down his life for us should lead us to trust in the intercession that he has made for us. He has gone between us and the righteous God. He is created this way for us to have peace between us and God, even though we are sinners, by taking our sin upon himself on Calvary's cross. So Jesus is the divine king. Jesus is the priestly king. But there's one more picture before, we, uh, before we're finished with Psalm chapter 110. There's one more picture that we need to see about this Jesus. This picture of Jesus, though, I think is often neglected. If any of these pictures of Jesus is neglected, I think this is the one that we don't talk about as much as the others. And this neglected picture is the picture of Jesus as the conquering king. And because Jesus is the conquering king, we need to prepare for his judgment. main truth I want to share with you today is this. Church, Jesus is the conquering king, and so, by all means, prepare for his judgment. We see this in the last three verses of this psalm. He is the conquering king. Now be honest. If I said, in your mind right now, I want you to picture Jesus, or maybe if I said that at the beginning of the service, before we started talking about who Jesus is, what picture would have come into your mind? A sweet baby in a manger? Maybe so, especially with Christmas time coming up. A gentle man with children on his lap? A humble servant washing dirty feet? A compassionate physician reaching out to touch and heal a blind beggar? Or a mighty warrior riding into battle with a flashing sword and fiery eyes full of wrath? Friends, all of those pictures of Jesus are true. We see all of those pictures of Jesus in the Bible, but for some reason we often leave off the last one. And yet, Scripture could not be clearer. Jesus is a mighty warrior. Jesus is a conquering king. And so if we're going to believe in the real Jesus, not a Jesus of our imagination, not just a Jesus that fits in with the life that we want to live, that fits in with the world around us, if we want to believe the real Jesus, we must believe that he is 
the God of wrath who will destroy his enemies as much as we believe that he is the priest who sacrificed himself so that people could be rescued from God's wrath. We must believe that he is both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain. And the picture of Jesus we paint for our children must help them see that he is not only a king on a throne, he is not only a high priest who dies for sin, but he is also the conquering king who is coming one day, as verses 5-7 through tell us, to judge the nations. I want to draw our attention to three ways in which we see this picture of Jesus as the conquering king in these final three verses. The first is this, the wrath of Jesus is coming no matter your societal status. The wrath of Jesus is coming no matter your societal status. Notice what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. We're not going to sugarcoat this because the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. Now here, King David, who's writing this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, King David is, is speaking to Yahweh God concerning the king who is at Yahweh's right hand, which we learned back a couple weeks ago when we studied verse 1, is Jesus. Jesus is this Lord at Yahweh, God's right hand. And what does the psalmist say about King Jesus? King Jesus will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. Listen, that baby in the manger is not a baby anymore. He grew up. He accomplished the Father's will for His life by dying on the cross for our sins. Then He ascended back to heaven. He ascended the throne of heaven to sit down at the right hand of God until He one day returns. And the day of His return will be a day of rejoicing for those whose sin He has forgiven, but it will be a day of wrath for those whose sins remain unforgiven. And notice that it is His wrath. It is King Jesus' wrath. Unfortunately, unfortunately, people create this false dichotomy between uh, the, God the Father and God the Son. They see the Father often as the one who is wrathful and the Son as the one who is saving the truth is that both are full of wrath and both are full of love. Jesus is just as wrathful towards sin as His Father is wrathful towards sin. They are one. And out of His wrath, Jesus will one day shatter, notice what it says, kings. Will shatter kings. Listen, it's not going to be a slap on the wrist. This will be complete destruction. And it doesn't matter how much earthly power a person has, no enemy of Jesus will be exempt from His wrath. Listen, parents, the world wants to teach our kids that one of the most important things they can do is climb the societal ladder. You know what I mean by that. Be rich, be famous, be powerful, be an influencer, be well-off, be well-to-do. That is how our world defines success. And unfortunately, too many parents are simply cheerleaders for their children as the world coaches them on to worldly success. But friends, listen to God's Word. It doesn't matter what your status in society is when Jesus comes back. Because even kings, according to verse 5, and even chiefs, according to verse 6, will be shattered. The earthly title of king will mean nothing when you stand before the king of kings. No societal status will make you shatterproof when you stand before the wrath of Almighty God. Do you know this today? Do your children know this? Do they see you pouring your life into achieving a certain societal status as if an earthly promotion is a heavenly one as well? I'm not saying it's wrong to be an earthly king. 
The writer of this psalm was an earthly king. And he's in heaven today. King David. I'm not saying it's wrong to get promoted in your job or get placed into a position of prominence in society. Certainly we need more Christians to be in those places of influence today. I'm not saying you shouldn't teach your kids to work hard and to work with integrity and receive with thankful hearts any earthly success that does come their way. But what I am saying is that your child can win all the academic awards or all the athletic awards or get all the scholarships or get the best job or make the most money or get the most promotions and still wind up destroyed by the wrath of God. The wrath of Jesus is coming no matter your societal status because He is the conquering King. Secondly, we see this. The judgment of Jesus is coming no matter your ethnical status. The judgment of Jesus is coming no matter your ethnical status. Verse 6 says, He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. So, wow, this is a great passage on Baby Recognition Sunday, right? We're talking about shattering kings and we're talking about the earth being full of dead bodies. That's what it says. This is God's Word and it's good for us to know. Why would we not want to know what is coming? Here we see that the wrath of Jesus is being poured out as judgment. Verse 5 called it wrath. Verse 6 calls it judgment. What that means is that the wrath that Jesus pours out is not just some anger, fit of anger where he's just throwing wrath out and if, you, if, you, if it ends up landing on you too bad, it's righteous judgment. What that means is everyone who experiences the wrath will rightfully deserve that wrath. It's not some random pouring out of wrath. It's taking into calculation the sins of human beings and pouring out on them the wrath that sinners deserve. Sometimes, you, you ever hear this? I know you've had, I hope nobody in here has said it. If you've ever, ever said it, um, just don't ever say it again. But sometimes you hear people say, well, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. I've heard people say that before. Don't ever say that, okay? That's a really dumb thing to say. It's not dumb because it's entirely wrong. In fact, God is going to judge us all one day. That part of the statement is right. But, but it's the meaning behind it. It's why somebody says that. What makes that a dumb thing to say is that it implies that God is either oblivious to your sin or unconcerned with your sin, and so you can do whatever you want because God doesn't really care. That's the attitude behind those who say, well, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. Friend, King Jesus absolutely cares how you live your life. And He is going to judge every sinner. And Scripture is very clear, the wages of sin is death. And so when He judges sinners, the result is a pile of corpses. That's what Psalm chapter 110 says. Of course, we know from the rest of Scripture that this punishment of death is more than just a physical death where you cease to exist. It is an eternal death where you experience the wrath of God forever and ever. But again, notice here, like in verse 5, the scope of Jesus' judgment. He will execute judgment among the nations. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Listen, no nation, no ethnic group will be exempt from the wrath and judgment of Jesus. The entire earth is His battlefield. That's how great of a king he is. No one can say, well, I was an Israelite by birth, and so I'm exempt from God's judgment. No one can say, well, I'm an American by birth, so I'm exempt from God's judgment. No one can say, well, I'm Iranian by birth and grew up Muslim, so I'm exempt from God's judgment. 
No one can say, well, I belong to a tiny people group in the islands of South Asia, and no one told us about Jesus, so I'm exempt from God's judgment. Listen to the words of Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Who is it talking about? Jesus Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Here's the good news though. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's the way Psalm chapter 2 ends. It's a serious, serious stuff right here. King Jesus is a conquering king. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He is the kingly uh, priest as well. He's the one who died for our sins, but he is also a conquering king. There are many points of application I can make here. For parents, but let me just make two very quickly. Parents, your children will face King Jesus as their judge one day. And so we must do everything in our power. And let me say it this way. We must do everything in the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to lead them to Jesus every chance we get so that they'll be prepared to meet him one day. The second point of application, let me just make this. Um, parents, can't race past this verse without realizing that all the nations of the earth will be judged one day. Every people and language and tribe across the face of this earth. And so it's so important that they hear about Jesus. And so let me make this other point of application for, for us as parents. Encourage your children to give their lives for the great commission of King Jesus. Encourage them to go to the nations to help the nations prepare for the return of this King. Don't hinder them. Don't discourage them. Encourage that in their lives. That looks different for different people, but encourage that involvement. Jesus is the conquering King, and so the wrath of Jesus is coming no matter your societal status, and the judgment of King of Jesus is coming no matter your ethnical status. But thirdly, I want to share this with you as we get to this last verse, verse number 7. The victory of Jesus is coming, and so check your spiritual status. Church, the victory of Jesus is coming, so check your spiritual status. The final verse says, He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore He will lift up His head. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. What in the world is that talking about? It seems an odd way to end this psalm. Well, you got to get the picture. you got to see the picture. This is a verse of victory. The picture we have being painted for us is a warrior riding through the battlefield. He is shattering his enemies and filling the battlefield with corpses. And then in verse 7, he stops, he pauses to take a drink of water, and then he lifts up his head and he looks forward to continue the defeat of his enemies. Let me ask you, who stops during battle to take a drink of water? Is it the one 
who is doing the pursuing or is it the one who is being pursued? You know the answer to that. Who stops and takes a drink of water during the battle? It's the one who's doing the pursuing. It's the one who's winning the battle. If you're running for your life, you don't stop for a drink of water. However, if you have the upper hand, if you know the battle is yours and you're chasing down your enemy who's running away from you, then you're able to stop and take a drink of water, lift up your head, and press on to victory. This pause in the pursuit that we see in verse 7 is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of victory, not a sign of defeat. Jesus will be the victor without a doubt. Listen, I've read the end of the story. I hope you have as well. Jesus ends up back on his throne to reign forever and ever and ever. He is the victor. And everyone, this is the good news, everyone who belongs to his army will enjoy the victory with him forever and ever. In fact, Scripture tells us that those who belong to Jesus will reign with Jesus one day. That is awesome. That is awesome. But if there's a victor, then there's also one who is defeated. And so the flip side is everyone who does not belong to Jesus will be destroyed. The question is this, how can we who deserve to be destroyed by Jesus because of our rebellion against him belong to his army and share in his victory? How can our spiritual status be switched from enemies of Jesus to friends of Jesus? The answer really lies back in verse 4 that we studied last week. This conquering king, this one who's coming to conquer and to make war, came the first time as a priest to intercede on our behalf. And he laid down his life on the cross. He on the cross. Listen, if you think the worst part about Jesus' death was nails in his hands and in his feet and a crown of thorns on his head, you're wrong. That was pretty bad. I'm not making light of that. But the worst part about Jesus' death wasn't the physical anguish that he went through. It was the spiritual anguish as the wrath of Almighty God was poured out on him. Jesus was shattered so that you don't have to be shattered. But praise God, he was powerful enough to raise back up from being shattered. To rescue forever those who will place their faith and trust in Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to be on the losing side one day. You can trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation right now if you never have before. And you can be rescued from your sin. You can believe that Jesus took your place when he died on the cross. And that he is powerful enough to rescue you from your sin for all of eternity. He came the first time to make peace between sinners and God by dying in our place. But friends, He is coming back. And when He does, He will not be coming to make peace. He will be coming to make war. And then it will be too late to switch sides. We find these words in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11-21. through 21. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. 
He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is Jesus. So how can our spiritual status be changed? How can we prepare for the return of Jesus? We prepare now for the judgment that is coming with the coming of the conquering king by trusting in the intercession that King Jesus made when he came the first time. Listen, Jesus will either intercede for you or he will shatter you. He will either save you or He will destroy you. And today you have an opportunity to trust in Jesus for salvation before it is too late. You can believe in Him right now. You can ask Him to save you right now and I hope that you will. But I think this portrait of Jesus should not only lead us to trust in Jesus for salvation if we have never been saved, but I think it has application for us as Christians as we seek to follow King Jesus. It should lead us to take seriously the commands of Christ. It should lead those of us who have trusted in Jesus to take sin seriously in our lives and pursue holiness with all the King's energy which lives in us. Too many of us only see Jesus as our Savior instead of also seeing Jesus as our Lord. Too many of us see Jesus only as the priest who sacrifices himself for our sin instead of also seeing him as a warrior who hates our sin with a vengeance. Perhaps one reason we are so lazy as Christians in our war against sin is that we've forgotten that Jesus is making war against sin. Maybe instead of only teaching our kids the story of Jesus in the manger, we should also teach them the story of Jesus on the white horse. Perhaps if we had this picture of Jesus burned into our minds, we would respect Him more by hating our sin more and loving holiness more in our lives. Perhaps we wouldn't so easily let Jesus slip from the throne of our hearts if we didn't so easily forget not only that He is the rightful King, not only that He has interceded on our behalf, but also that He is full of wrath toward all attempts to usurp His throne. Perhaps one of the reasons we see so many children grow up in church make some sort of profession of faith in Jesus and then walk away from Christ and His church in their high school and college years is that we've only painted for them a partial picture of Jesus. We painted the picture of Jesus the priest dying for their sins, but then we've laid down the brush. Maybe if we would keep painting, they would come to see Jesus not only as the rescuing priest, but as the conquering king. Maybe if we would keep painting, they would see not only Jesus' blood dripping from His side as, they, as He paid the price for their sin, but we would, they would also see the blood of His enemies dripping from His sword as He destroys unrepentant sinners. Maybe if we would keep painting, they would see not only Jesus with nail scars in His hands, but they would see those nail scarred hands holding the scepter with which which He rules the world. Maybe if we kept painting, they would see not only a brow, which was the temporary resting place of a crown of thorns, but they would also see a brow, which is the eternal resting place of the golden crown of all glory and honor and praise that belongs only to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Is He safe? No, He's not safe. But He is good. He is so good. Just like with Lucy, I think it is both a heartwarming gratitude for Jesus' compassion and a knee-shaking reverent fear of His power. 
that will lead us and our children to follow Him even when others don't. Maybe if we would stop painting a partial picture of Jesus, we would stop producing partial followers of Jesus. And let me just remind any of us who are tempted with producing partial followers of Jesus that Jesus Himself said, if anyone puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he is not fit for the kingdom of God. There are no partial followers of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Church, parents, if we want to produce whole followers of Jesus, we must paint a whole picture of Jesus for our children. They need to see that He is both loving and wrathful. They need to see that He is both mediator and judge. They need to see that He is both Savior and Lord. The one who humbled Himself by becoming obedient to even death on the cross is the same one whom God has exalted and has given Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God. By God's grace, when we paint this complete picture of Jesus, we will be training our children to both run to the cross of Christ with their sin and bow before the throne of Christ with their lives. To both approach the throne of grace with confidence and to tremble at His Word. To both rest in His finished work of salvation and to press on toward that goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To both receive His free gift of salvation that we don't work for and to work out their salvation by pursuing a life of good works for the glory of His name. To both believe that Jesus gave His life for them and to say thank you by giving their lives in faithful service to Him. We'll only see Je- our children will only see Jesus as our King, though, I think, if they see that Jesus is our King. Why would we expect them to see Jesus as their King if they're not looking at us and seeing that Jesus is our King? Say, how do we paint this complete picture of Jesus to our children, whether they're our own children, our grandchildren, children in our church? How do we paint this complete picture to the lost in the world around us with our words and our actions? By what we say and how we live. By what we say and how we live. Parents, are we regularly taking our children to the Scriptures and teaching them with our mouths, with our lips, the whole counsel of God's Word? And are we regularly living out before them lives of complete dependence upon Christ's sacrifice and lives of complete submission to Christ as our Lord? Parents, your your instruction to your children's listening ears and your actions before your children's watching eyes are painting a picture of Jesus each and every day. The Jesus that you claim to follow. What picture of Jesus are your children seeing? What picture of Jesus are my children seeing? I'm not preaching this sermon just to you. I'm preaching this to myself. God has worked me over this week as I've had this on my heart and mind about what kind of father I am to my children. What kind of picture am I painting to my kids? Is it a Jesus who is worthy of all blessing and glory and honor and praise? Is it a Jesus who's worthy of just a couple of hours on a Sunday? Or is he a Jesus who's worthy of every hour of the week? Is it a Jesus worthy of what's left in my wallet at the end of the week? Or is it a Jesus worthy of every penny that he allows me to possess? Is it a Jesus worthy of mumbling a few words of a song of praise? Or is it a Jesus worthy of joyful singing regardless of how good or bad I sound? Is it a Jesus worthy of sometimes opening up your Bible during the time of preaching on Sunday morning? Or is it a Jesus worthy of you opening up your Bible not only during the preaching hour on Sunday, but but all throughout the week? Is it a Jesus who is only worthy of being our Savior? Or is it a Jesus who is worthy of being our Lord? Now listen, please don't walk out of here misunderstanding 
with some kind of false hope. You and I, we can paint the most accurate picture of Jesus for our children, and our child, our children may still refuse to surrender to Jesus. I don't have the power to change my child's heart, and you don't either. Please hear me in that. I can't do that. Ultimately, that is a decision that that child has to make. A decision between him or her and God Almighty. But if they walk away, may their reason for walking away from Jesus be not because we painted an inaccurate picture of Jesus for them. My intention is not to beat us up as parents this morning. It's really not. Even though I feel a little beat up myself. I desire for us this morning to do all that we can. Not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. To live out before our children. To live out before the lost world around us. An accurate picture of Jesus. So that they'll be attracted to a real Jesus who both loves them enough to die for them and who is powerful enough to conquer their greatest enemy, the enemy of sin and Satan and death in their lives. What picture of Jesus are we painting? The world needs to know who this Jesus is. Church, let's give them an accurate portrait of Jesus. Are we exalting Jesus, church? Is the one on the throne of heaven on the throne of our hearts? Listen to me. It's the last word I'm going to say. He is worthy of both. Throne of heaven and the throne of our hearts. Would you pray with me? God, for some reason, a week or two ago, I thought this was going to be a kind of easier message to preach. Thank you for proving me wrong. God, our prayer in this moment is this. First, if there is someone here today who if you were to come back today, if Christ Jesus was to come back on His white war horse today, would be struck down because they've never received forgiveness of their sins by trusting in Jesus. God, I pray that today, right now, if they haven't already in this service, right now, they will believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Understanding that they can do nothing to rescue themselves from their sin, but Jesus has done everything. Father, I pray that they would turn from sin and turn to Jesus, the one who died and rose from the dead. And then secondly, Father, for those of us who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation, God, would you convict us of any area of our life, not just as parents, but any area of our life where we are not, we're not living with Jesus as the king of our hearts, where we are calling the, our own shots, where we're being influenced by the world, 
Father, help us to repent of that and help us to live by your power in us with Jesus on the throne of our hearts no matter the cost, no matter what anyone else around us does, help us to say yes to following Jesus each day because Christ is worthy of it. And then specifically, Father, specifically this today, Father, as parents, I pray that you would convict us of any, of any way that we haven't honored you in our parenting. Help us to bring that to the cross and find complete forgiveness, God. We don't have to live under the guilt of, of faulty parenting. Lord, none of us are perfect And God, you forgive us of the mistakes we make even in our parenting. But Father, you don't leave us there. You pick us back up and you you push us on towards holiness in our parenting. And so Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us today commit by your power in us to love our children well. To portray the gospel of Jesus for them well. To portray Jesus for them well. The whole picture of Jesus, not leaving any of it out. With our words as we teach them Scripture, with our actions as we live life among them. Father, and not just for our children, but for the world around us, may they see the true Jesus. The one who is the divine King of heaven. The one who is a priest king who came and offered himself to make peace forever between us and God. And Father, may they see Jesus as a conquering king who is coming back one day destroy his enemies. And Father, may that complete picture of Jesus lead our children and the lost world around us to run to Jesus. Not because he's safe, but because he's good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.